If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20. We'll put all the, uh, the verses on the screen uh, per, per usual, but if you do have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to look at your Bible. Uh, I've been preaching through the book of Acts over the past few months. The book of Acts tells the story of how the message of Jesus spread after he returned back to heaven, uh, how the early Christians went out and told people about the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're now in Acts chapter 20. Uh, we'll be reading here in just a minute, verses 1 through 12, Acts 20, starting in verse 1. Uh, just to kind of remind you where we are at this point in the book, um, Paul is now on his third and final missionary journey here in the book of Acts. He's traveling to new areas with a group of people, as we'll read here in a second. He's telling people about Christ. In the previous chapter, chapter 19, Paul was in the city of Ephesus. He was recently almost killed there uh, for for his love for Christ. And Paul now in this text, um, Next is, is leaving the city of Ephesus. Let's go ahead and pray as we start here. Well, Father, we just would pause and acknowledge now that the God of this universe, you are here in the person of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence among us. Jesus, you said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, now. And we would ask for your help, Holy Spirit, as we open up God's holy word, that you would stir within our hearts, that you would enlighten our hearts, that we could see the scriptures, not just as black words on a white page, but we could receive them as the inspired word of God and be changed in and through the scriptures. I ask now, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would drive out distractions from this room, that you would drive out any sleepiness, that you would drive out anything that would keep us. We know the powers of darkness fight against your word, fight that your word would not be heard. And so I ask that you would stir us up now as a church to actively receive your word and be ministered to by you. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 20 verse 1. Luke is writing this and he says, After the uproar ceased in Ephesus, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days." On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. 
But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Amen. There was a man, George Madison Adams, who was a U.S. representative back in the 1800s, and he once said this, he said, encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. A little healthy, honest encouragement can just be very, very life-giving, like oxygen. Encouragement can help a, a person breathe a little bit easier. Give a person strength to keep going. Give light in their darkness or hope in, in their affliction. Encouragement gives a person courage. That, that's where the word comes from. It is in plus courage. You're putting courage in someone. Uplifting, emboldening, strengthening that person. And just a little bit of encouragement can make a massive impact. William Arthur Ward, 1900s writer, he said this, he said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. And listen, the Apostle Paul, he considered encouragement to be essential for all Christians. That we would first of all be encouraged as Christians regularly, but that we would also then learn to encourage others. And encouragement is a primary theme in this text we just read. This text starting and ending with encouragement. And we see here, I believe, two different types of encouragement. The two things that we'll cover here this morning. Here they are on the screen. The first thing we see here, I believe, is what I would call a provisional encouragement. And the second is a permanent encouragement. And the first type of encouragement here, I believe, is, again, what I would call a provisional or a temporary in this life encouragement Something that we, we give and we receive now as we journey through this fallen world. Something we see Paul doing right here. In the first two verses here, I don't know if you caught it or not, but on two occasions in the first two verses, we see the Apostle Paul encouraging others. If you look at verse 1, here's the first occasion. Luke says that after the uproar ceased, there in Ephesus, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell, and he departed from Macedonia. He just gathers all the Christians now in Ephesus. He's been there over two years, and Paul, before leaving, encourages them. And here's a map now of where he's going. He, he's leaving Ephesus in the middle of the map there, and he's heading now through the region of Macedonia, up there to the left, uh, visiting churches that he had started earlier in Acts. He's visiting Philippi, he's visiting Thessalonica, he's visiting Berea, and in just a second here, Paul will land down there in Corinth. And later in this text, he'll start the trek, the trek back home um, from where he originally began. 
This trip here now, Paul, as he's going through Macedonia, is a very busy trip for Paul. He does several things now on this trip. The Bible says in other places that one thing Paul did on this trip now is he took a collection of tithes and offerings from the churches he visits now to bring those tithes and offerings back to the church in Jerusalem. And on this trip now, Paul also wrote two books of the Bible. He wrote 2 Corinthians now, most likely up in Berea. And then when he gets down to Corinth in just a second here, he will stay there for three months and in those three months actually write the magnificent book of Romans. And one more thing that Paul does on this trip now as he goes, he does the same thing he just did back in Ephesus. If you look now at verse 2, when Paul had gone through those regions of Macedonia and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So that's two times now in just two verses, Paul encouraging believers. The Greek verb there is the, is the, is the, the verb parakaleo. It actually means you are aside or you're alongside of calling to. And, and this, this biblical word, parakaleo, it carries this wide range of meanings. It can mean that you urge or exhort someone to keep going when they want to stop. It can mean that you support or you uplift someone in their discouragement. It, it can mean that you console or you comfort someone in their distress. All of that falls under that biblical word, encourage. And listen, the Apostle Paul encouraged other believers all the time. It's all over the scriptures. Here's just a taste. Here's Acts 14.21. Paul and Barnabas returned, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them, there's that verb, parakaleo, to continue in the faith. Or here's Acts 16.40, and when Paul and Silas had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, parakaleo. Or 1 Thessalonians 2.11, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you, parakaleo. And it's just the Apostle Paul relentlessly encouraging other believers, urging, exhorting, supporting, uplifting, consoling, comforting other Christians like a father, Paul said, with his children. And just pause on that for a second, because that is just a great picture of what biblical encouragement really is. Think of a loving, compassionate father with his children. His toddler takes one step and falls. And he doesn't then scold the child for falling. No, he praises the child for even trying Way to go, you took a step. Great job. Or his grade school child wants to give up, as many of yours may want to do, or give up on reading or on multiplication. And he urges and he supports and uplifts his child. You're going to make it. 
I will help you. Or his married child loses her first baby in a miscarriage. And he consoles and he comforts her. I am so sorry. I am here for you. Or maybe he just embraces his daughter at that point. Because there is a time in the Christian life to just keep your mouth shut. Romans 12, 15, just weep with those who weep. Just weep with those who weep. One of the best ways you can encourage or comfort someone in their pain. Just be there with them. And Paul, you know, that's what he did. This type of encouragement of father to his children. And do you know where Paul learned that? Well, he learned it from God. He learned it from God the Father who constantly encourages His children. Now, you, you, when you think of God, you may not think of God as an encourager. I don't know how you picture God. You could picture Him very distant and very cold and harsh. You could picture Him to be very discouraging. And God wants to heal that in you. Because that's not who He is. God is an encourager. Romans 15.5, Paul says this, He is the God of endurance and encouragement. Parakaleo. He is the God of encouragement. Paraclesis, excuse me, the noun form of the verb paracleo. Or, here's 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Paraclesis, the God of all encouragement, who comforts or encourages us, paracleo, in all of our affliction. Or, as another translation says for that verse right there, He is the God who gives every possible encouragement, who supports us in every single hardship. No matter what you're going through, God is an encourager. He's the God, as Paul said, of all comfort. The God of all Encouragement. God he is a father encouraging his children. Christian God encourages you daily, moment by moment, every second of your life. God's an encourager. Do you know what another name for the Holy Spirit is in the Bible? Parakletos. Paraclete comes from that word parakaleo. Here it is, John 14, 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, parakletos, to be with you forever, even the Spirit. That could be translated as helper, comforter, or encourager. The Holy Spirit is an encourager. And Jesus just said right there, I will give you another encourager. Why? Because he is also an encourager. Jesus himself. God of all comfort. He is not there to discourage you, Christian. He is here right now to encourage you, no matter what you are, are going through. God is an encourager. 
And listen, you, you, you probably know this, may know this. God encourages us first and foremost at the cross. We are sinners by nature. We, we are pressed down by sin, heading towards judgment. There's no way out. We are living, whether or not we know it, separated from Christ. We are living in complete discouragement. And yet God in love sent Christ to pay for that sin. And God now encourages you as a sinner. He looks at you and he says, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. Put your faith in Christ. And listen, those who do then turn to Christ, repent, cling to Christ in faith. Well, God then encourages you. He uplifts you. He comforts you. Do you know right at that moment, God gives you eternal comfort? Paraclesis, here it is. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2.16, God our Father, who loved us as Christians and gave us eternal comfort or encouragement, paraclesis, and good hope through grace. God encourages us, comforts, uplifts, consoles at the cross. But you know, Christian, or you need to know, it is not just in initial salvation that God encourages you. No, it is in every single second of your life that He is encouraging you. God gives you His Spirit, the Paracletos, and God now through His Spirit encouraging you. Urging you when you want to quit. Exhorting you. Supporting you. Consoling you. Comforting you every step of your life. God looking at you and saying to you, you are going to make it. I will make sure of it. I am with you. I will weep with you when you weep. I who started the good work in you. I will be faithful to complete it. Trust me. God is encouraging you right now, Christian. He does it daily. And you know what God then says to you, Christian? He says, now go and do likewise. As I have encouraged you, Now you go in the same manner. And you, Christian, you reflect my nature and character by encouraging those around you. See it all over the Bible. Here it is, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, just a taste. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another, parakaleo, and build one another up. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 And we urge you, brothers, encourage Paracaleo the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Or 2 Corinthians 1.3 We just read it. Look at where it goes here. Paul says, Blessed be the Father of mercies and God of all comfort or encouragement who comforts or encourages us in all our affliction. And why does God do it? Not just for you. No, here's a purpose statement. Why does He comfort you? So that 
we may be able to comfort or encourage those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He comforts you, Christian, daily in order that you might then go following in His footsteps, comforting, encouraging those around you. So my prayer is that this church would be a church full of encouragement. Listen, there is just way too much discouragement in this world, even sadly among Christians. Harsh, critical, judgmental, looking for the bad to expose, to tear down. And it should not be especially among Christians. May God help us to be stirred by the parakletos, the encourage of the comforter, to encourage and comfort others. May we encourage the unbelievers around us, looking at them and saying, there's hope for you in Jesus Christ, no matter who you are. May the parents in our church, may we, may we encourage our children. May we look and point out the good that we see in them. I see, son, you are so kind to the people around you. I saw you, my daughter, yesterday. You were so thoughtful with that girl next to you. Way to go. Or encouraging your spouse. Encouraging your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Urging them to continue when they want to quit. Uplifting those who are weak. Giving honor to those to whom honor is due. Weeping with those who weep. Giving comfort in their affliction. Jared Musgrove is a pastor with the Village Church. He wrote an article on this topic of encouragement. And he says that if you want to be a good encourager, you need to work at it. It is a skill. It will not come naturally in a fallen world. And he says, if you want to be a really good encourager, then aim to be both intentional and specific. Be intentional, Christian, in your encouragement. Actively looking for opportunities to encourage others. And be specific in your encouragement. Actively uh, taking an interest in others, observing other people so that you can speak specifically into their life. You served so well yesterday. You are so compassionate. You look like you have the gift of mercy. Just identifying the evidences of grace around you. You know what it takes to do that? It takes humility. It takes pride to tear everybody down. It takes humility to look and observe the good and intentionally and specifically speak and encourage our brothers and sisters. And it's just oxygen for the soul, isn't it? You know when you're in an encouraging environment. I think by and large this church is encouraging, although I've been around many of you for nine and a half years and I don't know that I've heard one encouraging word. The encouragement is oxygen to the soul. 
And as we read in that quote earlier, boy, when you are an encourager of other people, you will not soon be forgotten. You will be remembered making an impact, eternal impact in people's lives. And listen, you, you know one of the best ways as a Christian that you can encourage other people? It's with the Word of God. Man, that was the primary way, I'm sure, that Paul encouraged <laughs> the people, the Christians he was around. Paul is exhorting, uplifting them in and through the Scriptures, sharing the truths of, of God's Word with them. We'll see it in a second in Troas here. One of the ways that God wants us to encourage others is just getting people into this and sharing the truth, gospeling people, as, as we say. Paul says this, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, which is the verb parakaleo, with complete patience and teaching. Encourage or exhort in and through the scriptures. Or 1 Timothy 4, 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, parakaleo, to teaching. So that exhortation or encouragement in and through the scriptures. It's just so important. It's one of the best ways we can encourage other people. And man, it is just so important for us to be doing that with other Christians. John Stott says this. He says, nothing encourages and strengthens the people of God like the word of God. So can I just encourage a Christian, receive the encouragement of your heavenly father today. He is not here to discourage you. He is here to encourage you. Receive it and go in his footsteps and look to encourage others. That's the first thing, uh, a type of encouragement in this text, this provisional or temporary in this life encouragement, something we receive and give now in this fallen world. But we then see another type of encouragement here, hidden a little bit more. Number two, we see here a permanent encouragement i think we catch a picture here of the permanent uplifting or comfort of all of christ's people verse 3 says that paul after visiting corinth when he got down there in greece he wrote the book of romans just three months i can hardly write one letter or email in three months he writes the whole book of romans this guy that's pathetic come on Verse 3 says that after visiting Corinth, he then returned back through Macedonia, visiting those churches again, finally arriving over in Troas. It was a port city, uh, and he reunited there with this group of men, um, these names we just read in this text, these men with whom he's been traveling. And man, once we get to Troas here, there's this wild uh, scene. If you look again at verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So, first day of the week, on Sunday, this is when the early Christians were now starting to worship and to break bread, as Luke just said there, which probably referred to the Lord's Supper. They would take in their worship together. But it also probably referred to this agape fellowship meal that they would eat after um, their gatherings together. We will occasionally, as a church, when the weather's nice, uh, go outside and have these fellowship meals. That's kind of patterned after what they probably did in the New Testament, eating these agape 
fellowship meals together. And on this particular Sunday here in Troas, all the Christians have been gathered, and they've gathered here in some third story upper rooms. Think of it, third story. Most of your houses may have two stories. Add one, and they're gathered up there um, for this gathering. And verse 7 says that Paul then gave a speech. Uh, or a couple of the other Greek words uh, Luke uses here are more like a dialogue or a discussion. And it was probably out of the scriptures, Paul encouraging or exhorting, comforting these people in and through the scriptures. And um, it was just very long. Uh, he was he was he was long-winded here. Uh, we don't know if this is what Paul always did. This may have been uh, kind of a rare thing. Verse seven says that Paul, intending to leave the next day, apparently had a lot to say before he left, and he prolonged. And you look at that, and you're like, well, did he just? Does that mean he just started his sermon? He waited to start his sermon until midnight? No, he probably started much earlier, and he prolonged and extended his sermon until midnight. We don't know when he started here, but listen, this was a first century city with no electricity. Uh, The people were working on Sundays back then, uh, and this city, for most people, the, the motto was early to bed and early to rise. So the chance here is that um, they started relatively early in the evening. And if they did, then by midnight, Paul had probably been speaking at the least for a couple hours and maybe for some four to five hours. <laughs> and you do realize, don't you, that you now have no excuse for thinking sermons here are too long. Ever. Okay, next time you're thinking this guy is droning on, I do want you to look at your watch and oh, that's 45 minutes. This could go four to five hours. Praise God, we're almost done. And you will find nothing but joy in your heart when the preacher is rambling on here. And you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a statement about our culture today, isn't it? That a lot of people, a lot of professing Christians really can't tolerate more than about 15 minutes of Scripture exhortation. We, we live in just this very quick, kind of soundbite, kind of sitcom culture. Where, I, where We've been raised to think, I need conflict and resolution in 30 minutes or less with some commercial breaks so I can get some chips. And we approach sermons in that way. Paul here preached for hours. And the indication here is that the people stayed. And most of them stayed engaged. Which was probably an indication here of these people's hunger for the word of God. Listen, I I get it that sermons can be too long. I've never done it, other people have. And you laugh because you love me. I know it. That was your encouragement coming right back at me. I know they can go too long. Kent Hughes said that the mind can absorb no more than the backside. The backside's tired and the mind is tired too. Or John Newton who wrote 
Amazing Grace, he, he once said this. He said, when weariness begins, edification ends. <laughs> you need to stop the sermon when weariness begins. But please hear me. If all that we can handle as professing Christians is about 15 minutes once a week of Scripture edification, that probably says something about our hearts that is not good. It probably says there is not a hunger for God's Word. You know, that's one thing that the Holy Spirit cultivates in a Christian's heart is a hunger for the Scriptures. Now, it doesn't happen overnight, and we all go through lulls at times when it comes to the Bible. I get that. But over time, we as Christians should be growing in our hunger for this. Alert, ready, actively listening when anybody preaches, no matter who it is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer ran a seminary in Nazi Germany, not approved by the state, this seminary. And in his preaching class, when any student got up to preach, kind of practicing, bad as the student might be, and listen... I've gone through seminary. Seminary preaching can be terrible (laughs) at times. It can just be terrible, just shoot me now type of preaching. I'm sure I preach those myself in seminary. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when any of his students would step up to preach, he would then lay his paper and his pencil down. He would open his Bible and he would listen. And not primarily to grade them, but to be encouraged in and through the scriptures, by what that student said. And I pray that we would also be hungry, that we would be listening, ready to be encouraged when people preach. I pray that we would not be a church that is constantly desiring less exhortation from scripture, but more. But Paul's sermon here... (laughs) was a little long uh, for one young man. And listen, the conditions here, they couldn't have helped. And Luke is trying to tell us something here. If you look again at verse 8, he says, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And we think of lamps and maybe you think of something on the wall. No, the, the Greek means there was fire in this upper room keeping this room lit for hours in this hot Mediterranean context third floor where the heat always tends to go you ever been in a crowded hot room when somebody's uh, talking it is pure torture, isn't it? <laughs> you, you can't move, you can't breathe, your eyelids suddenly have this life of their own, you need toothpicks to keep them open, you, you do everything, you shift in your seat, you suck on a mint, you doodle on <laughs> with a pen, anything to stay awake. And one young man here gives in, if you look at verse 9, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talks still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. You know, windows back then, they weren't like windows today. They weren't there primarily so you could see outside. No, the windows were there 
so you could breathe. Uh, They were really just these open holes in the wall. They were down by the floor and they just let air in the room. And this young man, Eutychus, was by this window, probably for air. It's a very appropriate name for this man. Eutychus means lucky or fortunate, (laughs) which, which he will be in just a minute here. He's not very fortunate at the start, but he'll get there. And he's a young man, Luke says, or down below, he says he's a youth. So probably eight to 14 years old in a hot, stuffy room. And what eight to 14 year old can survive a four to five hour sermon? I mean, seriously. And this guy eventually gives in, and he really gives in. The Greek word for sleep here is the word hypnos, from which we get the word hypnosis. <laughs> this, this guy was out. And the, the poor kid, just pause, Eutychus is now on official record in Holy Scripture <laughs> as the first person ever to fall asleep in church. Uh, and this guy's the patron saint of those who, who fall asleep in church. Many in history have followed his example. He may be your favorite patron, patron saint. I'm, I'm not sure. Your pastor does know those of you who tend to fall asleep, though. I will let you know that. If you ever catch me preaching at you, in particular, for five, six, seven seconds, that's often to just kind of wake you up. I don't know if you've known that I've done that for the last nine years. And and man, I told you a story once. I was in a Bible study. My, my buddy was preaching this Bible study down in Texas, a really big man in the room who, who fell asleep and started snoring. And so his buddy, just trying to stop him, kind of elbowed him, and he woke up saying, Praise the Lord! at a very inappropriate time <laughs> in, in the Bible study. So just be careful if this is your patron saint, you know, that somebody doesn't elbow you and you spit out the wrong thing. Uh, so and just picture here what, what happens. You know, you're in this room, third story, and, and out of the corner of your eye, you see this young man, and you see him kind of slump over and slide out of a third story window. Very likely, these people heard a thud When he hit the ground, the chaos that ensues in the room, people shrieking, scrambling down the stairs, and he's he's dead, verse 9 says. But not for long. You look at verse 10. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. A miracle, it's taken up dead, verse 9 says, but now alive, look at verse 12, they took the youth away alive. And you just picture what happened here in this miracle. It's just so great the way God did this thing. So great. Verse 10 says that Paul bent over this boy, took him in his arms. I'm not a huge fan of that English translation. The Greek there means that Paul literally fell on him threw himself on this boy, on Eutychus, and then threw his arms around him. And, and what we see right there, this picture, I think that is probably reminiscent of a couple earlier events in the Bible. First Kings 17, there was a widow from Zarephath. Her only son had died. And the prophet Elijah, the Bible says, stretched himself out on the boy, and he came back to life. 
And then just a little bit later, 2 Kings 4, another widow, Shunammite woman, her only son had died. And the prophet Elisha then, the Bible says, stretched himself out on the boy, his mouth on the boy's mouth, his eyes on the boy's eyes, his hands on the boy's hands, and his flesh warmed, and he came back to life. And Paul now throws himself or stretches himself out on this little boy and he comes back to life. And you think Paul's sermon has been long up to this point. He was just getting started. If you look at verse 11, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so departed. Man, this kid's death was, well, this was an intermission for Paul, you know. Preach till midnight, I'll have raised a kid from the dead, and I'm going to preach till daybreak. So get comfortable in your seats, it's going to be a while. And God has now raised from the dead this young man, Eutychus. Very, very fortunate indeed by the end of the text. But here's the thing that I want you to notice I want you to notice what Luke says at the very end of this text, verse 12. Here it is. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Or they were greatly comforted. And guess what the Greek word is there? Parakaleo. Third time we've seen it now in this text. These Christians... Now all greatly encouraged by this young man's rising back to life. And that encouragement we see at the end of that text, that right there, that is just a small taste of the permanent, eternal encouragement that every Christian will one day experience when Christ returns. You know, we want to learn as, as Christians how to receive and give this kind of provisional encouragement, temporary daily encouragement in this life. It's just oxygen for, for the soul. But here's the thing. Death will ultimately win in our lives. Temporarily. No matter how much we encourage each other in this life, all of us right now are heading in that direction. You, 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 are, are, you are, are beginning the process of dying. Now, our bodies being even now pressed down more and more, weakening every day as we now lose our, our loved ones, our Christian brothers and sisters around us. But every time in the Bible we see someone raised from the dead like this, every time, listen, every time you see a resurrection from the dead like this, it is a reminder, God whispering to us, that is why Jesus came. Jesus came, He took our sin upon the cross, not just so you could be forgiven, but so that you might also one day be raised from the dead. The future return of Christ, the second Jesus returns, the Bible says every genuine Christian will rise from the dead in a new resurrected body, brought back to life like Eutychus. Only better because Eutychus was brought back into his current body and you will have a resurrected glorified body and why why this future resurrection for all christians you know why because jesus on the cross essentially did for us what paul just did for eutychus 
We, the Bible says, were dead in sin, spiritually dead. But on the cross, Christ essentially entered our death. He, he essentially stretched himself out on everyone who would trust in him. Mouth on mouth, eyes on eyes, hands on hands. That right there is a picture of your union with Christ. Christ united himself with you, Christian, in death. But Christ then rose again. And Romans 6, 5 now says this to you, Christian. If we have been united with Christ in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Christ in a resurrection like His. In the same way that Paul here, united to Eutychus, raised him back to life. Well, that, Christians, is a small picture, a small picture of what Christ will ultimately do for you. And what will all of God's people then experience? What will they experience in these new resurrected bodies reunited with Christian loved ones in the presence of Christ forever? We just read it, verse 12. We will all then be greatly encouraged, comforted, uplifted, supported, never to be discouraged again. That is your future, Christian. This permanent, eternal encouragement, the eternal comfort, the eternal consolation of God's people. So man, may God help you today, Christian. May God encourage you in and through the word. I hope you've been encouraged here a little bit today. May you be strengthened to encourage others around you. And may you always look forward, Christian, to your permanent, eternal encouragement when Christ returns. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you for the truths of the word that you are an encouraging, comforting, uplifting God, exhorting us, caring for us at all times, encouraging us in and through Christ. Father, I pray you'd open our hearts by the Spirit to receive your encouragement, your comfort, your consolation today. Isaiah chapter 40, you call out and you say, comfort, comfort my people. May your people be comforted by you today in and through the Spirit. May we be strengthened to comfort, to encourage those around us. Father, I pray you would help us to work on this, to, to, to be specific, to be intentional. And Father, will you give us faith to believe that our ultimate encouragement, our ultimate comfort, it's not in this life. It's when Christ returns and we all rise to meet Christ and our loved ones in Christ face to face. So help us today. God of all comfort. God of all encouragement who comforts us in our afflictions so that we might comfort others. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.